0: Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections. Episode 9. I'm your host, Pavel Bermensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com/podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guests. Today's guests are Julia Chang and Sandy Martin. Julia is partner and senior financial planner at Spring Financial Planning. Julia started in the financial services industry in 1997 and took her career through multiple investment firms and credit unions. In 2011, she left traditional financial services to form a fee-for-service financial planning firm in a partnership with an accounting firm and took JYC Financial entirely independent a few years later, eventually merging with Spring Personal Finance to become Spring Financial Planning. Which we'll talk more about on the podcast. Julia is a co-founder of AdminSphere Services and a charter member of Lead Family Enterprise Advisors. She co-authored the Women and Money ebook and also co-authored the Art of Delegation and the Entrepreneurs Survival Guide ebooks. Julia has been a finalist for several Wealth Professional Awards and made the two thousand sixteen Hot List of 50 Leading Figures in Canadian Finance. Our second guest is Sandy Martin. Sandy is partner and financial planner at Spring Financial Planning. After joining the industry, Sandy quickly realized that she could help clients or get good performance reviews, but not both. Uh, After almost 10 years in the industry, Sandy founded Spring Personal Finance, an independent advice-only financial planning practice to help ordinary Canadians make the best financial choices with the best information possible. Sandy built a virtual practice so she could serve clients from across the country, and five years later, Spring Personal Finance merged with JYC Financial to become Spring Financial Planning. Sandy is the co-host of the Because Money podcast and co-founder of AlphaInvest.ca, recently acquired, which helps investors compare the services of Canadian Robert advisors. She co-authored the ebook Women and Money, in 2016. Julian, Sandy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. You made us sound like a super big deal.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Julian and Sandy, I'm really excited to have you both on the show. Well, I'll just say that I'm really impressed with, uh, with your approach to uh, popularizing the concept of uh, fee-for-service financial planning, not only for consumers, but also for advisors to help uh, professionalize fee-for-service planning in the industry. And I'm sure we'll dive into it uh, a little bit more. But let's start with your firm. So tell me about your firm, Spring Financial Planning. What exactly uh, do you do and who do you serve?
2: What exactly we do is comprehensive financial planning. So we do take clients from all the way from I don't know what do I need I have all these things happening and it feels really complex and can you help me Here's what I want out of my life all the way to Here's your action list Here's the you know eleven things that you need to do over the next year Um, and we work with clients I mean the kinds of clients Julia works with tend to have um, more advanced um, planning needs lots of complexities and like boxes within boxes of corporations and holding companies and all sorts of things. Um, and my clients tend to be everyone else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good divisional flavor, I guess.
2: <laughs> and then, of course, we also have Catherine Mandelkorn, who's not on the podcast, but she's our director of cash flow strategies. And so she focuses on the real where the rubber meets the road, how you spend your money every day and how it makes you feel. And she is a key piece. Like the puzzle pieces of Julia and Sandy don't really fit together unless we add Catherine, which we did recently in December. And it's been outstanding. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Excellent. So uh, so I'm really curious to dive into your planning process and, and we'll, we'll get there. But, you know, let's maybe spend a little bit of time on fee-for-service planning, right? Because um, uh, you're, you're definitely on the forefront of the industry. And I want to think, I want to basically ask you, how do you think about, about fee-for-service planning? Why do you care so much about fee-for-service planning?
1: Oh, we have so many reasons. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with our our deep desire to make sure that uh, the people who are receiving the financial planning are receiving just the information they need. And the way this, the industry is structured right now is that people are, advisors are incented to gear their financial planning advice towards that which will produce a sale and That's just simply because that's how they're paid. People do what they get paid to do. And that doesn't mean that they're bad people or that they have nefarious intent or anything like that. It just means that's how the industry is structured. And we believe really strongly uh, that when people are paid for just giving the best possible advice and don't have any other source of income, then they're going to give that best possible individually focused advice.
0: Right. But well, there is no, no conflict of interest, right? Uh, so that's, that's a huge part of it. So let's maybe talk about uh, your uh, your planning process. Can you talk maybe about the, kind of the building blocks of, of your process and, uh, and just maybe describe this a little bit?
2: Well, let's, I mean, starting right at the very beginning, the very first thing that we do that I think every advisor knows, um, and I'm not sure everybody's process is built around this. I know mine has evolved over time, especially as we started merging our practices. But the first thing we do is listen which seems so obvious, (laughs) but the discovery meetings we have with potential clients, we get right into it. I mean, they take a while. They're not giving us their statements yet or anything like that, but our job isn't to create uh, this kind of fully optimized financial plan for somebody that we haven't really paid attention to the things that they actually value. So the process starts with that really deep dive in the discovery meeting and then we write a proposal letter to them that says that essentially is us telling them their story back to them. And then after that saying, and this is how I think we should work together. This is how much it's going to cost. And these are, these are kind of the procedural things that are going to happen. And so from the very beginning, the focus is in the process of listening to what the client actually wants, what they're really worried about, because no one will tell you right out and nobody can say exactly what they're worried about. It all comes down into that listening process and then mirroring it back to them to make sure that they have the, the expectations that we have for the planning engagement. That's kind of ABC step zero. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So when uh, when it comes to clients, what kind of um, how clients typically find you? And because with with both of you, you can actually offer a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, I would say a wide range of services, right? So uh, so in so since this is the there is this wide range of services, what kind of kind of uh, what kind of people do you, do you typically uh, work with? And uh, and how do they find you?
1: Well, what um, was one of the things that when we merged, we took a really hard look at how each of us uh, are found and find our clients. And uh, most of my client base prior to, to merging came from referrals from professional advisors that I know in the Vancouver community. So investment counselors, accountants, lawyers, that kind of thing. Uh, and Sandy's clients uh, came another way.
2: Yeah, they came exclusively from online. They they found me by googling me, or they you know saw me on Twitter, or heard me on a podcast, or read something that I had written. Um, and I had never, I actually prior to merging had not spent much time because I'm a raging introvert, <laughs> connecting with other professionals and, t- and and finding ways that we can work together as a team to serve our mutual clients, and that that I did not get referrals because I didn't, I was just online. I didn't know anybody except for the people online. So. (laughs) And so it's, it's become
1: kind of a mix of that. And then because we both have had practices that have lasted uh, uh, several years, we now have quite a bit of client-based referrals where clients are telling their friends about us and they're coming to see us. And we, I was talking to a doctor yesterday who Uh, had put a call out on her physicians group on Facebook and uh, they were referred to us from somebody else who had worked with us in the past.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And both of you are basically, you know, Pretty much spanning the Canadian uh, the territory, right? One of you based in Ontario, the other in Vancouver. So, so that's that's awesome. So, tell me maybe a little bit more about um, about the merge. How? What was your approach uh, to to merging your practices?
1: That's a, that's a good question. It, it, we had some uh, kind of silly names about it. So, uh, we had met online because that's the only way Sandy meets people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So we met we through a LinkedIn group and we, uh, Sandy was like, hey, let's do some practice management conversations with other fee-for-service planners. And I responded positively. And Sandy set up this, uh, this informal chat group where we kind of got together on Google Hangouts and started talking. And I have always had a fairly big vision in mind for what I wanted to do with this business and been keeping my eye out for someone who might have a values alignment and through those conversations as a group I really found that Sandy and I really hit it off as far as the way we communicated and what our values were around planning and so that was what I would call the dating phase and, <laughs> and then, then we got engaged so a uh, About a year, I guess, before we officially merged, we started sort of working side by side, uh, sharing information, talking about our processes and uh, getting getting a real good idea of how the other person works and what sort of personality quirks the other person has and what kind of potential problems we could see in becoming uh, a partnership, and and what we need to change and adjust, and what processes are required, and then uh, Sandy came out to see me in Vancouver, and we spent, I guess, just under a week together, hold away at uh, at my father's beach house, <laughs> with with our Excellent. yeah with our other partner Kristen, who manages a lot of our marketing and process optimization, and we kind of developed what this looks like, and then we launched. Perfect,
2: and. The thing that Julia is not telling you is that she has the most incredible human business brain. So not, not just, okay, I'm just going to optimize the business. She optimizes for humans in a way like personality matches strengths. It's never, I have to, I can't even really explain it, but our merge would not have happened if she didn't have that particular genius in putting business process and people process together. Aww.
0: that's fantastic that's fantastic because well uh of course i mean you a lot of there will be people but a lot of advisors here about you know we'll, we tried to start a business and of course it didn't work out but it sounds like you've had really cool uh, uh first of all strategic alignment on in terms of the services and and, and uh, where you're located and, and uh, what kind of clients uh base you serve and then you actually spend quite a bit of time uh and uh we won't talk about the beach house maybe but uh, I don't know what happened there but uh there was a lot of there was a lot of alignment uh in in or there's there's a really good approach on you know how you actually thought about just uh, to cover those kind of human aspects right the characters how we can work uh, with, with with each other and so yeah so I really want to highlight this it sounds like it worked out really really well well for you and um, other advisors may want to basically learn from that so um yeah so let's maybe talk a little bit more about um just uh, a little bit more about your team. How do you work together uh just within your internal team? And maybe we can talk a little bit more about you know how do you work with external professionals down the road as well.
1: Well, our internal team, um, I believe really, really strongly in the power of delegation, which you probably figured out from the ebook we wrote about delegation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh I I think that it's so important for us to leverage the strengths of the individuals around us. And uh, for the people on our team who are really fantastic at financial planning and working with clients, that's what I want you to do. I don't want you to do other things. And there's a whole, like, mass of things that have to be done to create and manage a business and to look professional. And I believe very, very strongly that there are great people out there who are good at that and you will make more money and grow a better business if you leverage those people. So on our team, we have uh, professional administrators, uh, bookkeepers, uh, we have an operations manager, and... Um, Kristen, our partner, who's a marketing and efficiency specialist, and pretty, and we also have paraplanners. That's about them. Sorry, um, and pretty much um, all the the administrative team uh, comes from my other company, Admin Slayer, and uh, and we have very well thought out processes for which which parts of the process should be handled by this person who has that key skill set. So. Um, We've been very, very detailed in, you know, the communications that happen between our administrator, Lindsay, and our clients, and then at what point the handoff happens from her collecting uh, client data over to a paraplanner who reviews it and enters it into the software, over to the planner who reviews that and creates the reporting that we need. And all the while, the administrative team's working in the background, setting up appointments and those kinds of things. It's very much a carefully thought out designed machine.
2: And, and I have to say, so I came into it having worked with no team. I mean, there was a period of time where I had a pair of planner working with me, but that was new. It was still new to me because I had reached that stage of the business that I think a lot of us get to, not just in planning, but in any kind of service business or any kind of business at all, where I can't, it's not just me. I can't just do it by myself, but, oh, I'm not totally sure if the revenue's there to support even part-time assistance. What's most important to spend my money on? Um, and so getting to merge with Julia at that key point in my own business and getting to leapfrog. I'm a, I'm a person that moves very slowly and thinks very slowly. and lets go of ideas very slowly. So getting to leapfrog into Julia's already well-established process and that team that works together so well because of their practice at Minslayer. Was I don't actually don't know how I would do it without Julia sort of egging me on to do it because you, I don't know when you heard her say like there are some people that are better at client and financial planning and that's all they should do she was actually just talking <laughs> to me she was talking to her <laughs> <laughs> you and Catherine both definitely sure,
1: sure.
0: <laughs> excellent so it sounds like there's a lot of process wealth without process I'm sure you have used a lot of technology as well which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um, how do you integrate uh, working with other professionals um, that are not part of your existing team? But you know, how do you structure those hand- handoffs or handoff points? Because um, uh, I know that advisors... I mean, sometimes we have those kind of questions from advisors, right? how should I work with external professionals? How, sh- how should I even think about it from the perspective, well, I don't want to introduce my client to other professionals because uh, you know, th- there could be some uh, dangers to that. How do you think about it? And how, do you, how have you implemented this in your business?
2: I think it's really
1: important to 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 think about it as a collaborative team. And I think that's one of the places where people kind of fall off. And they say, Oh, okay, I've done my bet. And you know, maybe we you know we figured out that you need a well, so you should go talk to a lawyer. Here's three I know, see you later. That is not supporting your client. I I I think that doesn't help at all. And I, you know, the the easiest thing to do, which is actually not effective, is to say, Oh, okay. I know my process and the point that I'd like to bring in these other professionals. And so that's what I'm going to do. That's 50%. The the other 50% is talking to each individual professional that you would like to work with, sharing your process, asking them about theirs, and then talking about at which point in, in each process makes the most sense to bring in that person and creating a trusted, collaborative relationship where you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I have this client and here's a couple of questions where I think you have some expertise and that person trusts you and likes you (laughs) and says, okay, this is where I think it's useful. And then you can say to them, okay, this is the point where I think I need to bring you in. Does that make sense? Uh, and I think that's the only way to to create really strong, powerful relationships where people will not even think about referring you. They're like, this person's part of my process because we've already walked through what that looks like and how we communicate.
2: And I have to say that. For me, starting to work with other professionals and to ask them the questions that I had and show them my work and get their feedback on it, work together as a team for the betterment of this client, was terrifying at first because, of course, imposter syndrome. Oh, (laughs) oh, I don't want to show them my work. What if it's terrible? What if I find out in this moment that I'm actually a total fraud and should just go back to working at McDonald's? (laughs) No joke, literal thoughts almost every time I had to. But but in all honesty, there are some people that are going to make you feel that way. And they're the wrong professionals to work with. Julia has always told me, you got to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> to find people that you can work with in a team, no less than the work that went in that Julia put into and Kristen to building the right personalities and the right match of skills in Admin Slayer and in Spring. You have to put that much work into finding professionals that you can work Together as a team, and 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 pretty new to this, I have to say that oh man, when you find those people, it's like gold. It's amazing.
0: That's true. Especially you're you're terrified before we actually find this kind of person, but if you well, let's say you went through the process of kissing a lot of frogs, but you found this uh, you know amazing fit, then you kind of start thinking that how I was able to actually work without that person, right? And that's just amazing when when you build the structure. So this is this is fantastic and it uh, sounds like you have a really good uh, good process and um and work with a uh, and a very good way of working with other professionals. So Let's maybe talk about just uh, fee for service and uh, just the whole uh, the whole industry. How would you uh, and maybe about asset management as well, right? Because uh, that's that kind of question kind of comes up uh, um, all the time. You know, why limiting yourself only to fee for service? Uh, how can we work with asset manager um, uh, or more traditional one or maybe a Rob advisor?
2: What are your thoughts on that? Well, we like to know where the lines of expertise extend to and stop. So. Well, there are a lot of people who offer both financial planning and asset management. My own personal feeling about that, and kind of professionally, we've put this as one of the spring philosophies, because we both feel this way, is that the expertise it takes to skillfully manage a portfolio, not just react to market events Um, Not just be the person that you're on the sales call with your manager and they say, well, we're we're pushing these funds this week. The, the, The expertise to do portfolio management professionally is not the same as the expertise that it takes to do financial planning professionally. And while some people can do both, I can't. And I don't want to, I want to really focus my energy on becoming a better planner every day and serving my clients on that front and then working with their investment counsel or a robo-advisor. I've done it kind of all different ways um, and will continue to do it all different ways because clients and their needs are different. To me, that marriage of expertise on both sides creates a better outcome for clients every single time.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well said. Well said. Okay. So uh, yeah. So that's uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you can also think about uh, maybe expanding your team further, right? And just having an asset manager being part of your team, right? You have already well uh, designed structure, uh, but there there are of course pros and cons of doing that. Um, so um, what what is your what are kind of your views on that, and what 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 is your preference? Are you thinking about just more kind of being very focused on fee for service planning and really keep the asset management completely outside outside uh, spring financial planning, or are you actually planning or thinking about maybe thinking uh, hiring somebody else and having uh, somebody really to be focused on, on just asset management within the organization?
1: No, we, no,
0: <laughs> no.
1: Okay. Yeah, we really want to have access to the best. Asset managers possible for that individual client that we work with, which means if we brought somebody on our team to do that, they'd be really good at the thing that they focus on. But that might not be good for all the clients that we work with. It might not be the right fit. And we know that, you know, our core competencies, what, what our core team is about and good at. Is financial planning, and we really don't do anything else, and we don't ever
2: want to. What she said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <coughs> okay,
0: so let's. Uh, okay, that makes that makes sense. Uh, let me ask you one more question around that, because um, how, what is. Uh, uh, as the, 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 the technology in the industry basically uh, becomes better. And what, what has been your experience with, with working with robo-advisors? Do you think uh, this is a, a viable long-term uh, option for a fee-for-service uh, planner work effectively with robo-advisors?
2: Yes. Uh, I said that like it was a question, but yes, the, I think that fee-for-service planners can work with robo-advisors to serve their clients. I would not want to see fee-for-service planners work exclusively with robo-advisors unless they have a very narrow niche clientele that they're trying to serve for whom robo-advisors make the most sense every time because that's their that's the client that they decided to work with if i said i always work with robo-advisors and i i i do i we at spring we do have some clients on the 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 Platform Like the four advisors platform for a couple of different robo advisors. We don't accept a fee from them. That's we don't do it that way. But we bill our clients directly feel is important to say. Um, but if I were going to this goes back to that investment management question, not everybody is a is a robo advisor peg. (laughs) And I'm not going to hammer everybody into that. So robo-advisors are fantastic, especially for that underserved market that traditionally, especially outside of larger city centers, have had to rely on whoever the guy is at the bank. And, And he may not be the right person for them. We believe really, really strongly in the right planner, the right investment counsel, the right accountant, for every client, and that combination, those pieces can change out depending on the client. And we always want to be able to do that. So, yes, RoboAdvisors as a really great option, but not the only option.
0: That makes sense. And especially it makes sense a lot in your case, right? Because you, you can serve a variety of clients from, you know, somebody who is an early, uh, early stage of their, of their career, let's say in their, you know, twenties, maybe thirties even, uh, all the way to somebody who is thinking about retirement or already in retirement, right? And those, those needs of those clients will be dramatically different. So of course you don't want to limit yourself to one option because that wouldn't be a good idea for the, for the client. Exactly. Um, Okay. Okay. So, um, so let's maybe talk about the uh, the financial advice uh, market and the way of delivery of financial advice as well. And of course, there has been a lot of attention, especially recently, on the there is an XY Planning Network in the US. And of course, their target market, their demographic is tightly defined by just their name. Uh, but uh, I guess not limited only to that, uh, to that uh, target market. So what are your thoughts on, on kind of this retainer model? Uh, do you think uh, this is going to be, a, you know, is going to get a wildfire adoption here in Canada or it's going to be a more progressive, uh, kind of uh, slower um, uh, uptake on that model? What do you think on that? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I hope it's going to be wildfire adoption. Do I think that's what's going to happen? I don't think that Canadians as a society tend to move super quickly. Most of the time we're pretty we're pretty slow at adopting things. We like to send people out ahead of time and see what was that like for you. Okay, maybe I'll try that out. We are we're we're a conservative bunch if if we're just speaking really generally. So which is you know a lot I think to do with our heavy reliance and trust in banks, despite many of the things that have gone wrong there. Um, but I would like to be there for the evolution of uh, people adopting fee-for-service financial planning. I think, as you can see, the distrust mounting in the industry, people are looking for this. And they're probably looking for it at a faster rate than than. I expected certainly, because most of the really great fee-for-service planners I know are stacked for a time. Yeah. They're, they're getting massive inquiries and not doing a lot of marketing. So I think the, uh, the desire is out there. Clients really, really want this. And I think it'll grow even more as people start to find those planners, because that's the biggest, I think the biggest issue is they're hard to find.
2: Yeah, well, and and specifically to that subscription model that XY planning in the states is um, is marketing. Of course, the big difference is that most well, I shouldn't say most. Many times that subscription model also covers asset management fees, um, and so here that is going to be a little bit different, of course, um, because most fee for service planners don't they don't have access to the same kind of licensing um, to give advice that the RIAs that are part of the XY Planning Network can give. Um, but that monthly subscription while that idea that I pay, I pay a little bit every month, I'm not going to get a full comprehensive plan that touches on all of my stuff right away. But over time, I'll build a relationship with somebody that's available and knows what I'm doing, um, kind of that can walk with me through things. I, I think that there actually is a very large market for that. And I, we, we work with a lot of new planners who are testing out different ways of delivering that Um, including kind of technology-assisted ways um, and just ways that they can develop their process and pricing and just kind of solve that design problem for what do I want to do with my time and how do I want to serve clients and therefore what price do I charge them? Um, I I think that is going to take off in Canada. Again, not like wildfire, because I don't think we do wildfire. (laughs) controlled (laughs) burns on the prairies or something, but... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think there's going to be demand for that model, and not just. I really, honestly, do not think that it's just for that particular age demographic. I think there are clients who are just underserved by our existing structures across all demographics that would appreciate that particular model. We happen to not pursue that one, but there are people with great energy who are pursuing it that are going to do really, really well.
0: That's great, and I think I do agree with you that, that, that there is a great need, and uh, there is the, there is definitely great demand. I think there is con- consumers need to be more educated on on what options. Uh, uh they 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 truly have right because uh, for some of them they uh they, they're just simply not aware of options, and I think uh, I think just having maybe different uh, kind of different niches uh, of if um, you are service planners, um, uh, focusing on um, being focused on and serving those different different demographics, different niches. Uh, I think that's going to that's going to be really helpful. Um, so let's maybe talk a little bit more about uh, maybe about the tools that you use in your practice, right? And uh, I guess this is probably a matter of loaded question, but let's maybe start with uh, <laughs> some, some at least some of the te- technology stack that you use, from all the way from you know client onboarding to Uh, you know, your your marketing systems, uh, CRMs, uh, financial planning
1: software, everything.
2: Most of the things that we use, we use for, um, well, this is not, sorry, I should go back and say, we have a few things that we use for legacy reasons, the time and energy involved in switching to the next new thing, because there's so many new things available all the time. Um, It's not the best use of our time to, to get our staff to relearn a system, to reorganize our process, depending on how that stack works um, but so we use for the most part people contact we have a um it's just gravity forms really uh, we have a conditional form a get started form so that people people filter towards kind of julia myself or Catherine when they submit that form and that helps our our administrative team set up the right appointments with the right people Um, So that's pretty simple, but it's actually quite key to to kind of efficiently serving the right people. Um, We use Base as our CRM, um, and so that helps us set automated tasks and just put that process into place where you don't have to think what the next step is for everything. Um, We use NavaPlan for our planning software. We have lots of really complex things, and we've been using – Julia has been using NavaPlan. How long have you been using that? (laughs) She's a NavaPlan ninja. She knows how to do things without having to think about – how the software works. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we, yeah.
1: When, when, uh, Babel, you mentioned that uh, I started in 1997, I'd like suddenly, you know, was uh, carrying the weight of my age. But, uh, yeah, that's also about the time I started working with Navaplan when it was in desktop form.
0: Oh, my God. This is like light, uh, years in technology.
2: Uh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um we use Zapier to do a lot of automated things. Like if clients send me an email that has, you know, real planning update stuff in it, I can just tag it as a client update email. It gets sent to one of my folders automatically and turns into a document and my administrator knows what to do with it and Um, So we use that. That's, again, one of those really simple, quiet pieces of technology that do many great things for us. I used to use Acuity myself for scheduling so the clients could put themselves into my calendar. And I actually only stopped that about two months ago. Finally, I realized how great our administrator Lindsay is, way better than that particular program, given how crazy my calendar looks. I don't even want to talk about Julia's calendar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's interesting so actually switch from using software to actually having your administrator to to basically handle that that's really yeah. interesting
2: i mean the, the beauty of that software to me was that i could limit my calls to two particular days i only really want to take calls with clients on mondays and tuesdays and i want really protracted focus time wednesdays and thursdays And i know julia organizes her calendar very similarly she has meeting days focus days and then there's days where it's admin right but, um, the, the limits of what that software can do for us now and how we want to be able to serve our clients, Lindsay a much better person to do that. So yeah, it is interesting, but it's been a great move and I'm really glad that I made it. If we could go back to the planning software for a minute, cause I know you'll have thoughts about this, but there's, <laughs> there's always when, you know, new planners or, or kind of practicing planners come and we talk about this kind of thing a lot. You know, when we say we use Nava Plan, we use Nava Plan plus spreadsheets. We use Nava Plan plus all the hacks over the years that we've learned to make this result because it doesn't technically model that. But if we use this setting, then this will happen. You know, we know all those things just from having to do it for in Julia's case much longer than me, but for so long. We have a wish list as long as my arm for the things that we want our software to do better for us. Um, and so when we say you <laughs> Plan, or if we said that the, the thing, I think that's true with any planning software. Um, there's lots of things that we wish just for our own specific use cases would be a lot easier to use, or would have that built-in capability. Um, and I think everybody would say that about their software. I would hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, well, <laughs> as you can imagine, but well, financial planning is an interesting problem to solve technically, right? Because uh, mostly because there's so many edge cases, and uh, you know, we have uh, we on our list right now, we have over five hundred or six hundred documented feature requests, and 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 plus we have, and this is not even talking about our own ideas, how uh, how we think about improving our software, right? So so this is definitely true from the software product development that you will get if you are. A Somewhat successful uh, you will you will get future requests from your clients because you have user base and that's going to grow and technically uh, uh, and realistically you will never going to be uh, able to ac- accomplish everything because it's just too many things and to, uh, however with financial planning of course uh, you have completely different client needs right and then the level of customization and then of course um, the, the 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 whole process orientation right you have a specific way of of, of doing things i mean that's it's a big problem. I don't think people realize that actually uh, building and uh, maintaining later on, keeping the software up to date, finishing playing software is actually a pretty big task. So, uh, oh yeah. But uh, anyway, I don't want to steal their time <laughs> from you right now because, <laughs> because <laughs> I could be talking about it for, for a while. Um, excellent. Anything else in terms of uh, software that, uh, that you haven't mentioned so far that, uh, that you use and that you find
1: great value?
2: Slack. <laughs> oh. oh, oh. See, it's so invisible. I don't even think
1: about it. Yeah, we love Slack. We 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 use the heck out of Slack. Mm. Um, it is it is a huge part because we are a countrywide team. Our team spans from me in Vancouver through the Okanagan of BC, over through Saskatchewan into Ontario, and all the way to Nova Scotia. Our team is huge, like. I said, across country wise, it's not actually a big of a team, but uh, <laughs> but we're we're right across the country. And what's really important with remote teams is that we can stay on the same page, that we have a culture of communication and understanding and that we're able to do things like have water cooler conversations, even though people don't have water coolers anymore. Uh, but, so how do, how do you do that? When everybody's in different time zones and different locations, you know, it's really, really difficult. And Slack has been amazing for that, for our communication.
2: As has, you know, again, one of the sort of invisible ones. Um, We use Google Docs and Sheets a lot, um, especially I mean, for client stuff, for sure, but especially just to communicate what we're working on, kind of Julia and Kristen piloted a positive focus at Admin Slayer and we copied it in spring and then we've copied it again in our financial planning forum. This idea of, okay, we can't, we're not going to have a two-hour meeting with everybody every week because that can get unwieldy, can take time away, can be inefficient use of time. So here's 15 minutes. You just say, what's something that worked last week, something that didn't, what are the top three things you're working on this week? Where do you have questions and what's your workload? And that just checking in with that 15-minute call, having done the prep work to really think through what are effective, real answers to those questions. Google Sheets, <laughs> so simple, <laughs> but just Google Sheets being able to do that is, uh, from a team building perspective, excellent. And then using Google Sheets with clients to make real-time changes. I mean, of course, someday I would love financial planning software that would do this, but right into the nitty-gritty of how they spend their money month by month, we'll do that together in, in a Google Sheet live and kind of go through that is, I mean, that's invaluable.
0: You know so I'm actually curious. Let's go back to the financial planning software for a second. What are some of the biggest features or biggest desires that you would
2: want to actually have uh, as part of your planning software? Ooh, you made a list, didn't you, Sandy? Oh, I have a huge list. I would like my financial planning software to show the old age security recovery tax as a separate line item instead of lumping it in with taxes. Yeah, I would like mine to... Um, to be able to optimize withdrawals from portfolios um, so that, so you can set like no more than X amount of tax every year and have it come back with an error message. And well, there's no combination of RSP TFSA and non-registered portfolio withdrawals. that's going to make that happen. I would like my financial planning software to model changing asset allocations over time. Uh, What else? (laughs) (laughs) I would like it to model child or the Ontario Trillium benefit and all like various income tests stuff. It's really only once your income is below a certain level, um, this financial planning software and frankly, most financial planning softwares just don't, have never, the money hasn't been put into doing it because most advisors aren't working with that clientele. So optimizing low income strategies would be fantastic. I could go on and on and on and I won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've heard some of those, uh, those requests before. So, um, yeah. So, what do you think? Uh, just uh, one other thing, kind of interesting question. So, do you think the financial planning software at some point just are you thinking about you know having a client portal that basically will be able to be able to maybe replace some of the technology that you're using right now and just kind of integrate it, bake it into more planning software, or do you think that that should be kind of more separate and more separately integrated within your process?
2: I'm not sure how efficiently it could be separately integrated into our process. I would like something where input is once showing, like doing the work and being able to show it to clients. It's very difficult to use Navaplan as a very good example. It's hard to show in real time what you're doing with the software. It's not really, there are add-ons for that. I just don't find them particularly customizable or nice to look at or useful. And because there are so many sort of backdoor hacks that we have to do to create a plan that actually works the way we think it should work, um, it is difficult to do that in real time. Um, with clients, but I would ideally, I want to see everything in one place. I don't want to duplicate efforts. I don't want very particularly, we do not want the multiplication of errors that it's possible transferring from system one to system two to system three. How many just chances for mistakes do we create when we do that? We do want data aggregation though. Just so badly. So so yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Like top of the list.
0: Top of the list. Okay. Sounds good. Excellent. Okay, I'll, uh, let's leave financial planning software on the side for now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and let's uh, give you a little bit of break from that. But uh, let's maybe talk about, uh, I know you've been uh, very involved in supporting uh, younger financial uh, planners, and I would say er- at earlier stages of their career, especially in a fee-for-service fee for capacity. And, uh, and you have a forum, um, have a financial planning forum around that. So could you maybe uh, share a little bit more about uh, what you've been doing?
1: Yes. Uh, Well, this is part of our desire to see fee for service planning be recognized and treated as a profession. And we believe, really, we believe we have the right ideas about what that looks like. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, and we want to influence how people are creating their fee for service planning firms. There's not existing structures and paths that people can easily follow. Becoming a fee for service planner in Canada is a leap of faith. There isn't like, hey, this is the box that you fit into. These are all the things you need to do. These are the standards and practices. That doesn't exist. And we really want it to because we don't think that that we're going to be recognized as a profession unless we do a lot to bring the profession together and help each other. And to become better at what we do. So that's what's been behind the forum, which grew out of that regular uh, practice management conversation that Sandy and I met on through Sandy's just in LinkedIn. Hey, let's all talk about practice management. And so, so we've we've developed a Slack group for that. So we have ongoing conversations that we can kind of have live across the country whenever you're working at your desk uh, with other FIFA service planners across the country. Then we ask each other questions: How did you do this? How did you do that? Uh, what do you think about this? I'm looking for information on that, and uh, and we share. A lot of information that way. We also have um, monthly uh, Zoom chats where we get on a video conference and talk about some specific things. And uh, we also have specialists come in and do webinars with our group, and we're working on
2: lots more. Lots of things. Do you know this? this really did grow out of that practice management call, but also there's just been a lot of really bold, in a good way, bold you know, prospective planners that are willing to kind of send an email and say, hey, I see that you're doing fee-for-service planning. I I am doing this right now, but I would like to do that. Or I started doing planning and I just, I kind of feel alone. And I'm just always so happy to talk to them. And Julia has been in the past too. We're just really happy to not feel alone. <laughs> uh, that's lovely. <laughs> and so, to but to find a way, like one conversation, it's just hard to keep up with each other and you know, in some ways, it's social media for FIFA service planners, not in all the bad ways of social media, but just in the good ways where you just get to sort of live life beside each other, even though you're far away, um, to not feel alone, to have people that you know. You don't have to explain the whole backstory to kind of ask a question, there's no <laughs> bringing up to speed necessary. Um, and we want to find a way to, to not just have those one on one conversations, those are great. But to let for us to learn from them, to learn from that guy over there and that woman up there, and so that we can create this network of knowledge and experience and just friendship in lots of ways, so that we can each learn from each other. I have gotten so much out of this. I mean, we've put a lot of our time and resources into creating it, and it's it's really it's it's been well worth it.
0: I'm so glad that uh, you are doing this because, especially for somebody who's thinking about joining the industry right now. Uh there's not there's as you mentioned, I mean, there's not a lot of options for them. So so and and this is uh, you know, you've you've doing you you've been doing a lot of work. I mean, having and maintaining, for example, Slack group, those monthly calls, that's a lot of work. And uh, that's not necessarily billable work, right? So that's you know, your contribution to the industry, which is, which is fantastic. So if somebody, for example, is thinking about joining this forum, what are the different ways so that how can they contact you? And, and uh, you know, is there a vetting process, for example? How, um, uh, how a new, uh, for example, uh, planners would be able to get access to this forum?
2: So we have a page up now on our website. It's linked from the main page and then also it's in our nav bar. That's usually the way, usually what happens is people uh, send us an email um, and then we, we book a call. Typically it's with me. It's very similar in a lot of ways to our discovery meetings with clients because, um, it has to be worth their time and it has to be a good fit for us as well. Um, because we do, there's a, there's a monthly membership fee depending on what amount, like if you want to be part of the workshops and, um, some of the, the more labor intensive things that the cost kind of goes up with that, but just the, the that, you know, we're very cognizant of what fee-for-service planners start out looking like on the balance sheet Um, so so we want to make sure that we have that really good conversation to find out where they're coming from and what they really need and then we give them a month-long kind of preview so they join slack calls just to see first just to meet the people because then if you go away from that you decide it's not really worth your time at least you've met some other people in the industry sort of had a brush with what's happening which i i I get so excited about i can't even talk (laughs) So they go through that month, and then at the end of that month, they decide um, if they want to proceed, and then they go, kind of, it's a monthly subscription. Um, And if they don't, we still cheer them on. We have lots of sort of ex-members that it wasn't right for them at the time, or they moved on into something else, and it's so lovely to still be connected with them at a distance now. We don't get to talk every day, but, and cheer their success on. I just want to see a huge network of other fee-for-service planners who look to each other with admiration and respect because we know each other is doing a really good job of lifting each other up.
0: Excellent. And of course, this is going to help you build the network, of course, personally. So so this is fantastic on all, all fronts. Uh, so let's talk about maybe uh, maybe any advice uh, that you would have for advisors who want to start doing fee-only planning, especially some maybe somebody who is in a more traditional role right now in the industry, but it's actually more geared or more interested in doing fee uh, fee for service planning. What kind of advice would you say? What are the most, I'll say the top, you know, two, two or three things that they should be paying attention to?
1: Ooh. Um, first of all, develop a process. I, I, I can't hammer process home enough. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, organization gives you freedom, as you said earlier. Uh, having a process is so very, very important. You have to be very clear on what you're delivering and how you're doing it. We are not providing people with tangible things that they can take a look at and say, yeah, that was a good idea necessarily. So we need to be able to, to show them the value of the advice through the process and through our communication because that's a lot of what we're selling. So have a process, spend the time on that, Work that out Um, and give yourself a lot of time. This is a slow growth industry. You are not going to open your shop and have 500 clients knocking down your door, despite the fact that I did just say earlier that the fee-for-service planners that we know, a lot of them are fully booked two or three months in advance. They took time to build that, like a lot of time, years. So (laughs) expect that you're probably going to make very little money in the first one, two, maybe even three years.
2: Yeah. Know your burn rate and, and get really comfortable with raising your prices because (laughs) I can tell you from experience that's, I mean, we all know that, right? Oh man, that's really hard. But when we start out, if we want to say, okay, I offer financial planning and it's at this cost because of whatever, whatever, you know, self-image reasons or any of the poor business sense that we set our prices really, really low, um, get comfortable with the idea that that's temporary and, and communicate that effectively. So these are my prices now because I'm starting out very soon. I'm going to increase them, but you're getting it on the ground floor because there's nothing worse. And we've had to do it lots of times. And I think we're getting good at it. There's <laughs> nothing worse than having a client come back to you from your very first year of business. When you were charging almost nothing. And want an update because they loved you and they valued the work that you did. And now you feel like, oh, I really like you and I don't want to disappoint you. And now my cost is triple that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, pricing is tied tight, uh, tight to value. So it's worth stressing that you know, from the perspective of a business owner, we sometimes look at uh, price minus cost. Right, that's the equation we're looking at. But from the client's perspective, it's really value minus price. So if you're delivering a lot of value, and a fee-only planner can provide enormous value to clients, so if you are actually delivering a lot of value, uh, there there shouldn't be not a lot of stopping you from actually increasing the the price. Right. So it's probably is it more? Would you say it's more kind of psychological aspect of of a fee-only planner? Absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Because we know what we know. We think that everybody knows what we know. Julia was just talking about this in our last group call. The assumption is everybody knows what we know. How much value are we delivering? We tend to tie the value of what we're delivering to the amount of time that it takes to put it together. I am guilty of this. I was guilty of it last week. But we're we're not counting for the long amount of time that it's taken us to build this body of knowledge. And not just the body of knowledge. Technical competence is absolutely important. But how we take that information and turn around and communicate it to clients who are coming with a totally different worldview, their parents told them one thing about money, or they experienced something else in the markets that we never experienced, all sorts of reasons. We need to be able to communicate that to them. And that communication ability and the back body of knowledge that we've spent our time developing is worth. More than just I spent an hour doing this, or I have said that same thing to the last client. So, how valuable is it that I'm repeating the same thing? It is valuable.
0: So, let's dig in a little bit deeper here. So, uh, how do you uh, illustrate value of planning to your clients?
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's a super good question, <laughs> uh,
1: and one—it's a big one, yeah—and one that we we struggle with. And I think um, when when you're when you're delivering an intangible. A service, it is really, really hard, and this is why imposter syndrome strikes heavily in the service areas of, of every industry. So it is hard to say that you know this physical nothing that I'm giving you has lots and lots of value, and easier to say that this you know widget I built has value. So one of the ways that we do that, first of all, we have to convince ourselves. because no one's going to believe us if we don't convince ourselves. And one of the ways I think we do a really good job of that is through the proposal that we write. And that proposal will mirror back to the client. This is what you told me about you. This is the things that you think are important. These are the goals that you've outlined and the things that we think we can help you with with financial planning and the way that we're going to do it. That's how we illustrate it. We get really detailed.
2: And I would add that we cannot deliver value to everyone. And that's, it's hard to internalize because my natural thought is, well, everybody has to like me and value me or else I'm not very worthwhile. That's not true. And I think we all struggle with that maybe to different degrees, depending on our personality types. But I deliver value to clients when I know the clients that I can deliver value to. And I do not try to deliver value to people who would not value what I can give them. And that, that very long in-depth discovery call, all of our marketing, all of our branding has come together to say, this is who we are. And if, and if that doesn't connect with you, and in our phone call, we don't connect, and our proposal doesn't really, eh, eh, it's not really a fit. And you want, well, could you take this out? Could you do it this way instead? I'd prefer it if we didn't have this part of it. Then we can't help you. We've designed a process for the kinds of clients that we can help. And those are the people who end up valuing our service and who we feel like we have a good connection and really good value delivered to them. So narrowing that scope, not trying to be everything to everybody has, I think for spring in particular, has really helped us to deliver value to the few clients that we feel would receive it.
1: And that's so hard. It is, it is, I, I can't even like between pricing and, and that being, being okay with saying to clients, you know, what, we're not a good fit. And I'm still a very good planner. <laughs> it's it's, oh man, it's, it's
0: just, almost heartbreaking.
1: It is. It is so heartbreaking. And even, you know, I, I had a discussion recently with a client who I actually expected would not come back. Uh, and, and this person was like, well, when a client comes to me, they know that they're paying X number of dollars and receiving this widget. All, you know, all I've gotten from your proposal is that I'm going to get a financial plan. Right. And I was like, okay, well, and my first thought was like, well, all right, see ya. And, but, but my next thought was pay attention Julia to what she's saying.
2: Yeah.
1: She is saying she doesn't understand. And so I went back and I was like, I think what you're looking for here is to kind of unlock the mystery, which can be really tough with financial planning. Cause I don't know what advice I'm going to give you, what the impact of that advice would be until after i am done and you kind of have to pay me first. So, <laughs> um, you know, how how do I do that? And so I gave, I, I just got right back into her goals. You told me this. You told me this is important to you. I can help you solve that. That's the thing I will do. If you don't know what a financial plan is, I'm going to tell you that it's a bunch of reports that back up my advice. Mm. That's it. And there are reports you probably won't look at again. Uh, It's it's me showing you my work. That's all it is. But the the actual plan is us solving these problems together, the advice that I provide, and the systems to implement the recommendations. That's that's the real outcome. And she was like, done. I will talk to you right away. (laughs) So
0: I want to talk more about the system because I think that's what I see a lot of advisors actually struggle because some of them are actually technically brilliant, but um, there is a, there is a struggle in making sure that clients are held accountable and they will implement actually the advice. Yes. So how do you think about it? What is what is your take on that?
1: It's so important that um, that we have a commitment that the client we will stay in touch with the client for the balance of the year. So we we create your financial plan. And then we're going to have another meeting six months afterwards at, at, at the latest. We might talk before that, but I guarantee you we will talk at six months. Oh, I don't want that too bad. That's what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have another call at 12 months. And we are going to go through what you said you were going to do, what we agreed on, what changed because things change. And we're going to talk about how that impacts you and other things need to happen. And if at the end of 12 months, we talk about what's happening in the year ahead and we find you don't need another full financial plan, you actually might not need anything else for the next year, that's fine. I'm going to call you in a year. And I'm going to keep calling you every year until you tell me to go away because I want to know that you're okay because I really do.
2: And that's that's a thing that you know you can you can we can put words around it and say you know you have somebody that you're accountable to because we we are not implementing the plans for clients we will introduce you to the colleagues that we want you to work with or you know we'll check in on you all those times but you are the person that has to go and get that power of attorney written or you know get sufficient insurance we can't do that for you by choice in I mean, most of the time for any of those other expertise areas. Um, But, but the person knowing, we, we know this is true, right? Knowing that there's somebody else that is going to call you in six months that expects you to have done things, but will understand if you didn't, you know, and can talk you through that a little bit. There's, I can't put words around what value that actually has, but I know I, Julia is doing my financial plan. And I know that having, having her tell me, here's the strategy that you need to follow. And and having to answer to her when I don't, she's not she's not going to wag her finger at me. It's not like that. We're not nagging. But knowing that she's pulling for me, and I I have simple things to do, and I I just don't do them because I didn't feel like it or I got too busy. I'm also letting Julia down, or my planner. Let's say I'm not actually. Let's pretend I'm not working with my. <laughs> <laughs> <Julia>. <laughs> That's one of the things that a financial planner should be doing is providing that accountability. And if as I did in my first years of practice mistakenly I thought I thought it would be assumptive to say well I'm going to call you every year why would they want to hear from me well of course they want to hear from me (laughs) Um, so I don't want to make that mistake and just say well we did a project and then you're gone and come back to me if you ever need me I want them to know that I'm here at any time and can answer questions for them because who best knows their situation well it's me
0: Do you have any signals from clients that, um, for example, early on maybe in the first discovery meeting, that you know that those clients will probably, they're really invested in the process, they will probably implement the advice or it will be easier with, uh, with them to implement the advice versus maybe some other ones, well, I'm not so sure about
2: it. Absolutely. Because the ones who maybe won't, that you know, not that they might not implement the plan, but the clues that they might need some extra cheering on or they'll say something like, even though we don't manage portfolios, we don't give investment advice, but they'll say something like, Do you know, I really want to try passive investing. I've got this that I've got this T D account open because I'm gonna invest in e series funds, but it's empty? Or they don't have I know, I know I need a will, but I don't have one yet. Oh, that's everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> or they can, you know, they they can just I mean they, there are certainly some clients that surprise us with, wow, you really got all that stuff done. But most of the time you can tell the keeners <laughs> right <laughs> in the discovery call because they know they know the things and they got you all the stuff ahead of time and you give them the document checklist and two days later it's done.
0: <laughs> to your surprise.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's surprising. It's always, always surprising because that doesn't usually take two days. <laughs>
0: So, um, so you clearly have a really good process, and you've done this. You've been doing this for a while, so you've uh, you've developed your internal processes and and uh, a lot of uh, you know heuristics around around uh, the processes around your business. But let's maybe talk about some some of the challenges or some of the things that you know your business could actually use right now. So, what what have been your biggest challenges so far?
2: I mean, I I can think of very specific examples around data collection. I think to me, if I had to pick something that has bothered me is or something that is just a challenge and it is still an ongoing challenge which is why the idea of data aggregation is just so appealing is getting the information we need to do a proper job you know all of the illustrations from insurance or somebody's will or all of the all of the you know paper ephemera and digital ephemera that bounds our financial lives, getting that from clients in a way that doesn't make them feel like it is the most tedious piece of garbage homework. And if I thought you guys were going to help me, <laughs> and if this is what you call help well, I am out, like that first two weeks or so when people are collecting information and there's a, you know, the, the, there's Lindsay, who's just helpfully kind of talking about, well, this prep time is scheduled here. I think that that is very stressful for some clients. And we've worked really hard to make it as low friction as possible. But there's a limit short of us kind of logging into the computer for them or going through their filing cabinet in person. There's a real limit to how much we can help them identify what's important and what's not. If they knew, they might not conceivably need us as badly as they feel that they do. And so that, to me, that's something that I have. It's just an ongoing struggle is helping clients know what's important in their financial lives and documentation and getting it. (laughs) Data gathering is, yeah. Yeah. It's just the biggest pain, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I was recently a client of somebody data gathering from a different professional organization. And I can tell you that I love what we do. It's way better than what they did. I had such a headache from trying to gather the information that they were asking for in the format they were asking for it in. Ugh, it was gross. <laughs> I felt for clients so much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's a big, big problem, and you know, technically, it's it's uh, it's a harder problem to solve as well because you have those different pots of, uh, I would say, or uh, uh, databases of, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, and you know, there's some paper information that hasn't been digitized, right? There is there is maybe some information there. Either there are tax returns, maybe there's uh, maybe there is business, right? So that's the whole different game, I guess. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, okay, data collection. We've heard a lot about that. Uh, anything else, uh just uh, particularly in terms of you know process or just the, just a challenge or that you that you hope that basically maybe the most improve in your business over let's say next twenty I know twelve twenty four months
2: yeah, I
1: think uh, one of the things that that we're always continually working on is that balance between optimizing the amount of time that we put into a plan. Uh, and and making that work for the client price wise, and making that work for our own craft time. Um, you know, there's there's human capacity limitations that we need to work with, and it's one of the the big processes that we're working on internally. Is you know just figuring out how much time are we spending on a plan that might look like this and categorizing plans to begin with is tough. Everybody wants to do it. And by the way, there is no simple plan. God, how many times I've been asked, could you just do a simple plan? No, that doesn't exist. Could you just be a simple human? No, you're not. So (laughs) (laughs) well, that's that's the reality, right? There's no simple people. There can't be simple plans. So, but anyways, I digress. Categorizing, um, How long you put into this type of plan means having to identify what this type of plan is and what we do is customize that step, And then trying to determine how much time it takes to, to make that process as efficient as possible where we're giving the time, effort, and energy that's required to do a really excellent job and also... Uh, doing it within a time frame that makes sense and a rate that works for clients. I think that is an ongoing project that will probably never end. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, at least if, at least if you're making some, some, you know, huge headway towards improving that, 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 that metric and just finding that that's going to be super positive. So, Uh, Well, before we wrap up, let's uh, let's go to the last question. You shared a lot of uh, practical tactical knowledge, but uh, you know this podcast, and I started this podcast. It's it's all about growing your practice, right? Do you have any specific parting words of wisdom uh, for the listeners?
2: (laughs) Growing their practice.
0: About growing their practice, family practice.
2: Get a team. Well, yeah. I mean, write your process. Write an actual process.
1: Have a process. Evolve your process. Grow your process process all the
2: processes yeah <laughs> yeah don't waste time on reinventing the wheel for every new plan or every new type of client oh, yeah. that's don't do that because it feels it feels very natural speaking from experience to say whatever new client comes i'm going to customize something around them because i don't quite know what my process is yet but boy if i could go back in time and do a lot of things if i could go back in time but if I could go back in time, I would certainly say, just say, look, look I'm just going to say I do this, this, and this. And then when the time comes to change that, I will. But this way I can target the things that are important to the clients from the get-go and not waste my time spinning my wheels. How do I visualize that in a chart? How do I do this? What do I show in this section? I still do that. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's not a marketing tip. It's not, but I think Julia is absolutely right. Getting Building the really strong foundation of the data that you track to show your growth and success, the, the processes and the administrative support that you need, so that when things take off, you don't have to scramble and go back and put those things into place. Because if you do good work, if you have an eye for serving clients, not just extracting value from them, then there is a place for you in the market. There absolutely is. And your practice will grow. It, it will grow slowly, probably, because like we said, it doesn't. things don't go fast in Canada, but um, it will grow. And you best put some effort into making sure that it's going to grow from a healthy place, from your own time, and for the value that you give to clients.
0: Fantastic words for wisdom. So, Julia and Sandy, if anyone uh, wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you?
2: Get on our website,
1: springplans.ca. We also have uh, Twitter, at Spring Plans, and, uh, and we're on Facebook and LinkedIn. Connect with us. We definitely want to talk to all those uh, fee-for-service planners out there who are running solo practices and feeling alone or people considering it, and you know, we want, we want to help you.
2: Yeah,
0: very much. Wonderful. Uh, Julia, Sandy, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.